Hello and welcome to another episode of the Scarlet Nation podcast on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Chris Conus, joined by Bobby Darren, and we've got a jam-packed Rutgers weekend to recap for you. Um, Rutgers football, of course, ending the bowl drought with a win over Indiana and the Scarlet Knights now 6-2, and two, and uh, Rutgers will be playing postseason football. Don't know where yet. Won't know that, of course, until the end of the season, uh, but the Scarlet Knights have punched their ticket uh, with a little over a month left in the season, which is pretty remarkable, all things considered, um, and a big moment for the program. But we'll get into all of that. We'll also talk a little bit about Rutgers basketball scrimmage at St. John's. Um, but first, I want to welcome in Bobby Darren to talk about that game against Indiana. Scarlet Knights really pulling away in the second half, and it was largely the ground game that got it done, Bobby. Out of what we expected, Chris, um, you know, going into it, you know, Indiana, the, the MO on them was they played well in the first drive, but, you know, four quarters is a long time. You have to be able to sustain things and be consistent. And Rutgers was just the better team. And the second half, they really asserted their the, themselves against, uh, you know, a team that they should have beaten. And they did. And, and they beat them handily. And, um, you know, take away the, the first touchdown, which was a blown coverage by Flip Dixon, who's been very good all year. He just said, you know, uh, a mental lapse there on that play. And, and you take that play away and that's a fourth down play that they don't get. And Rutgers has a ball on the 40 some yard line starting off with a zero zero game. I mean, that really could have snowballed quickly in favor of Rutgers and, and, and really made it an even more lopsided uh, game than, than it was. So, um, you know, uh, things happen, but Rutgers has been able to overcome those mistakes. And that's what we've talked about all year, Chris. And that's why they're six and two. It's not like they're getting the breaks. They're making the breaks, you know, I mean, yes, they're down seven. What they do after they came down seven, Chris, they drove the ball down the throat uh, of Indiana, long you know, drive where they're just running them over. Kyle Manungai did his thing again. So um, it's what we expected. And the bye week comes at a great time. Rutgers is six and two. Chance to, to, to build on that, go to an even more uh, prestigious bowl game. So uh, a, a lot to be excited about. And, um, you know, like I said, bye time comes or bye week comes at a good time because you had some guys getting banged up. There were some guys that went down yesterday. Um, you know, hopefully they're they're going to use this week to heal up and maybe get some guys back for that stretch run because it's going to be a tough one, Chris. Yeah, uh, looking at the uh, FPI uh, update uh, for the Scarlet Knights. Scarlet Knights still number seven in the Big Ten Conference, um, but all four of the remaining opponents, Ohio State, Penn State, Iowa, and Maryland, uh, are rated higher above the Scarlet Knights right now. Of course, that could change, especially if a couple of results go to Scarlet Knights' uh, favor in November. But that just sort of mm-hmm. illustrates how the Big Ten East, even more so than a normal year, I would argue, you know, has almost all of the really good teams. I think only Wisconsin and Iowa – uh, are really in the conversation towards the top. And then once you get off of that in the Big Ten West, there's a big drop-off. But the East has been, you know, really good between, you know, Rutgers improving, uh, Maryland's, you know, potentially on track for their best season in a long time. And we have Talia Tagovailoa, mm-hmm. who's a really good quarterback, um, you know, and then you have really the big three in the Big Ten East, uh, Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan are, you know, pretty much close to the top. I know Penn State suffering the loss against Ohio State, um, but you know, that's still going to be a very good team and a very tough matchup for Rutgers. But the point remains, if you can get a couple wins down that stretch, or even, you know, if you split Iowa, Maryland look good in the others, if you finish at seven and five heading into the bowl game, I, I think Rutgers fans would have to feel pretty happy about that. Um, and the opportunity is there. If you can exceed expectations, if you're the Scarlet Knights, you know, you finish potentially eight and four, a lot would have to go right for that to happen. But if that happens, you know, then you potentially shift 
where Rutgers finishes and where Rutgers could go as far as the postseason is concerned. Uh, so an exciting opportunity down the stretch here for Rutgers, Bobby. And, you know, I was writing about uh, the Music City Bowl on Sunday, and it's one I deferred to write about last week because, you know, they just had to get bowl eligible, and I was pretty confident they would beat Indiana. So, um, you know, let's start talking about it in a different tone now because they are bowl eligible. So six wins, you can build on that. You get two more, you could play in that Music City Bowl in Nashville against an SEC team. Uh, Right now, it looks like it could be a number of teams. Um, Texas A&M is one to watch. Mississippi State, Florida even, uh, could be one. Um, and even if Auburn makes a run at the end and finishes with, you know, six, seven wins, they could be up there as well. So um, you're talking about now going from bowl eligible to potentially playing in an even better bowl, um, talking about games where they could defeat Iowa, they could defeat Maryland. You know, Penn State and Ohio State are going to be a tough time. But it's conceivable that this team is not done yet. They're six and two and we're we're already talking about better bowls. So you can just see how this narrative has kind of changed and how this team is kind of evolving. So, you know, hats off to them and uh, we're going to keep covering the bowl games. We're going to have a, you know, updated every week of of what looks good, what doesn't look good, what might be in the cards, what might not be in the cards, which potential opponents uh, they'll face. So I think it'll be fun to kind of keep an eye on that and and watch it because it's something we have been able to do for a very long time as writers for the site and it's something fans haven't really been able to realistically do for quite some time but now we can we can keep our eyes on that bowl horizon and see what the possibilities actually are yeah it's been a nine year drought 2014 was the last time Rutgers reached that six win mark Uh, for reference I was a freshman in high school at the time just to put in perspective how long it's been uh, since Rutgers has reached this point. So it's a massive accomplishment for the players, massive accomplishment for the coaching staff. And it's um, obviously a lot of fun for the fans, uh, you know, especially where this program was not too long ago to see what Greg Shano and everyone has been able to do, uh, I think is a pretty, pretty impressive accomplishment already. And then, like you said, Bobby, you have the chance now in the last four weeks of the season after the bye, which I think comes at a right time for Rutgers uh, in terms of the wear and tear. You know, you have an opportunity to really build off of that and, you know, potentially get this season to that next echelon of success. And I think that's an exciting opportunity. And, you know, they were in the the, the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl in 2021, but that wasn't. You know, it wasn't the same thing. At five and seven, you got in because the APR was higher. Um, you know, they put it together in a matter of a week. And just, you know, got the doors blown off by Wake Forest. I mean, you know, it, it, it they did make a bowl game, so they did make the postseason. But it, it's not the same as earning it on merit uh, based on your on-field performance. So uh, definitely uh, an upwards trend. And, and this is kind of what fans expected. You know, Greg Schiano steadily builds it, gets them to bowl eligibility, and and you. You know, that's not going to, you know, they, they don't want that to be a plateau. So you can build off of this um, and they can build off it this season. So uh, it, it's definitely going to be an interesting time to come. And, you know, we'll talk about it a lot this week. We have the bye week coming up and, and you know, we'll be at practice a couple of days and, and keep you going with Rutgers content. But um, I wanted to switch gears a little bit because basketball is just on the horizon, Chris. And you were out in Queens to watch Rutgers scrimmage St. John's um, on Saturday, a double Overtime, you know, um, we were following it with your updates and whatnot. It was it as exciting as it sounded because you know the game wasn't televised, but you know it, it went to double overtime and went there on a, on a in an overtime shot, which uh, St. John's hit a three right at the buzzer. So, um, what was it like being there for that? 
Uh, well, let me just say, first and foremost, um, and I mentioned this to you before we start taping, but if you had dropped me in in the middle of the second half as Rutgers was making that push, didn't tell give me any context about the game or the situation, all that, I would have thought this was a, you know, last week of the regular season matchup, both teams fighting for an NCAA tournament spot. It had that intensity. At least it felt like it had that intensity. Uh, Kardasaka Arena in Queens was about, I'd say, 85% full. It only seats about 5,500 people, but it was loud in there. Um, so it was a very intense environment. Rutgers uh, struggled a bit at the outset, but really had a nice effort in the second half to come back and force overtime. You know, the first overtime period went neck and neck, and then ultimately St. John's uh, pulled away. Um, I, I think I came out of it with a lot of positives for Rutgers. I thought the uh, freshman class of uh, Gavin Griffiths and Jermichael Davis both looked really promising. Uh, you know, I thought Cliff Amore, you know, look, was doing Cliff Amore things, controlling the paint, um, getting some good looks at the rim. Uh, you know, I, I just thought overall, yeah, yes, the result, of course, is not what Rutgers fans would have wanted. But I, I took away a lot of positives and I think um, uh, some encouraging signs as now we're about two weeks away from the official start of the season against Princeton. Um, but it was a lot of fun being there. It was a lot of fun watching it as a reporter. Um, and, and the intensity was definitely there. Uh, it definitely felt like an old uh, Big East matchup uh, as those two teams were in a conference for a while, not anymore. But it had that regular season intensity. Uh, even though it was ultimately, you know, a scrimmage. So, you know, you mentioned the freshman. I'm curious, you know, we, we kind of heard a lot about Gavin Griffiths, but Jamichael Davis is a guy that, you know, kind of under the radar recruit down there from Atlanta. Uh, fans might not know a ton about his game and, and he played quite a bit. What did you see out of him um, on the floor on Saturday? Yeah, well, I thought um, Jamichael Davis, um, you know, and, and Gavin Griffiths were both really on a high level. I thought Jamichael Davis, uh, you know, you look at him without watching him play and you're not sure what to expect, but then you actually see him. And he has this really dangerous uh, combination of quickness and aggressiveness. Um, you know, it, it feels mm -hmm. like he's a step quicker of anyone who's trying to guard him. Uh, and that allows him sure. to get to the rim. It allows him to collapse the defense. Uh, and it basically just, you know, it allows him to do things, uh, that, you know, a lot of players, um, just can't do. Uh, so he finished with 16 points, uh, you know, five of 11 from the floor. Uh, Gavin Griffiths, uh, was a little slow to start shooting, but he really kicked into a gear in the second half. He was three of five uh, from beyond the arc after the first half. Um, uh, so you mm -hmm. saw his shooting on this play. Um, and yeah, you, know, you know, I just thought that, that duo, I think, is going to be very important for Rutgers, especially given, you know, the other new players coming in, lose a lot of scoring production in particular from last year. Um, so I, I just think that class uh, is going to have, if Rutgers is going to make a push to get back in the NCAA tournament, they're going to have to have a, a decent size role in that. And I think they can. And I thought what I saw in this scrimmage uh, was encouraging. And I wanted to ask you about a couple more players. Derek Simpson, you know, second year. Um, going to be more involved with, you know, with the changes in, a, in you know, the roster. What, what did you see out of him? I see nine points, five assists, four rebounds. What kind of game did he play? Yeah, he also, it also felt like he got a bit more comfortable and really the whole team did uh, as the second half wore on. Um, but mm. it just, you know, I, I, but I thought he looked like a more improved player. I thought he looked like a smarter player. I thought, uh, you know, you could see that the skill set is just a little bit more refined. Um, and I think that he's going to be set to sort of take a step from, you know, the strong end to uh, his freshman season uh, that he had because um, he was on the floor for a good amount of time as well. He's listed as 34 minutes total. 
Um, okay. And I think that he's going to have the potential to really step up into that role as well. But I, I was impressed with what he showed in the second half. Uh, and really Rutgers as a whole, just to go back to that point, uh, really felt like they got more comfortable. First couple of minutes, St. John's was pressing all over the place. There were a lot of turnovers, just was looking disjointed. But Rutgers got more comfortable, uh, as you might expect for a team that's you know welcoming in several new players to, to their system. So I, I thought Simpson definitely looked like he took a step up from what I saw. But you mentioned new players. Noah Fernandes is his first real game. I mean, he played, uh, you know, overseas with them. But, you know, the first game in the States, uh, even though it wasn't a, an official game, but uh, seven points, three rebounds, two assists. Uh, what did you see out of him? Yeah, he uh, he only played 25 minutes total. Um, you know, mm-hmm. He ended up with uh, five fouls. We ended up fouling out towards the end. And uh, I think that's part of the reason why you saw Jamichael Davis uh, in for as much as he did. Um, but he also, you know, he was two of three with seven points in the second half, uh, was able to contribute uh, on the glass a little bit. Um, he, he just brought that veteran presence. Um, and, and we know what he can do shooting the basketball. Uh, we saw what he did against Rutgers a couple of years ago. I think that um, sort of put on display a skill set. And I think the potential is there for him to have a nice, uh, a nice year. And, uh, you know, it was the first time that he had played against a college opponent since he got hurt back in the middle of last season. And so that was um, another thing, too, and I think that he's going to really uh, be a key player, especially in the beginning, as you see guys like Gavin Griffiths, like Jermichael Davis, um, really settle into the college game a bit more. Um, and I think he's going to have he finished with seven points, but I think he, he could have the potential to contribute a bit more than that um, as the season goes on. And we've heard a lot about this up-tempo uh, that they're going to run with, you know, and, and, and be a little faster. Did you see that on display? I, I think you saw, I saw it on display for a good portion of the game. I think, again, you know, St. John's is also a team that liked to play on a faster tempo. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. they controlled the tempo a bit, St. John's, that is, in the beginning. And I think Rutgers did a nice job responding. Uh, the thing that stood out to me wasn't just necessarily getting down the floor quickly, because um, that's one aspect of it. The other thing, and I think the thing that might ultimately end up benefiting the team a bit more, is it felt like the passing was a bit faster, if you know what I mean. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. times last year you saw – you know, Rutgers would get into these half-court sets, and it felt like, you know, players were holding the basketball a bit. Um, and it felt a little stagnant, if you know what I mean. I, I didn't get that sense watching Rutgers this year, or, or in this game, I should say. Um, it, the ball was moving quick. You know, guys were trying to create, you know, good looks by finding the open guy. It felt a bit more fluid. There were times when, you know, there were turnovers and things didn't look fully in sync. Again, it is a preseason scrimmage, so you can't draw a total final conclusions and, you know, Guys are still working things out. Um, but, you know, I, I did get the sense that this is going to be a different kind of team. And I think that ball movement, um, you know, as much as just the athleticism on display, I think that is also encouraging. And I think that's going to help contribute to a more efficient offensive game this year. Great, great synopsis. And uh, last one before we wrap it up, uh, are they going to beat Princeton in that opener? I, I think Rutgers should win that game. And I want to be very clear, I'm not, you know, doubting Princeton when I say that because Princeton mm-hmm. lost a couple players, but that's a really well-coached team. Uh, it's a team that, uh, you know, has been able to find consistent success. And you saw what they did in the NCAA tournament. I don't think it's going to be like your typical Rutgers basketball opener where they're playing, you know, a school and it just, you know, ends up being not even close. It wouldn't shock me if that game, you know, comes down to the last few minutes, but I do think this Rutgers team should be good enough to compete in the big 10 and, and really be at least in the conversation for the NCAA tournament. Um, so if you're a team that wants to do that, you're on a neutral site in Trenton against a good Ivy league team, 
But still, if you're a Big Ten team, I think you should expect to win that game. And I do think Rutgers will win that game, um, although I don't think it'll be like a 30-point blowout. I think it'll be a bit uh, closer and a bit more competitive, which I think will be good for Rutgers, too, to get that early test. All right, there you have it. Take the money line. Chris said it's Chris said so. Oh, no, no, no. Hang on a second. We haven't seen the lines yet, Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> the money line, just a straight up money line. You got to okay, win the move. All right, fair enough. Fair all right. Enough. All right. All right. Cool. All right. Uh, so that's where things stand. Um, Rutgers going to a bowl game for the first time since 20 or first time since 2021. First time reaching six wins uh, since 2014. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot to play for in the back half. Rutgers basketball. Uh, tipping off the season in two weeks, got the first look at what the Scarlet Knights could be capable of uh, at Carneseca Arena. Um, Bobby, any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? Well, you know, uh, it's a it's going to be a busy week. We can tell by the weekend traffic on on the site that, that you know it's uh it, it's not going to stop. Uh, we're going to have it. You know, we'll, we'll continue to have an onslaught of coverage for you because it is an exciting time. It is a a good time. You know, I've been covering these, these teams a lot of years and I can't remember a time when football was rolling like this and there was so much excitement coming into a basketball season. So we're going to do our best to provide you with it, a relentless assault of content. So keep it there. We'll keep you we'll keep you updated with everything we can. Chris and myself, Brian Doan, Sean Brown, the whole crew. That's right. You can get all that content as you know, we work closer to that bowl bid for uh, games left in the season. And of course, basketball is going to keep us busy as well. So plenty of stuff coming up on ScarlNation.com. And we'll be back with you soon for another episode of the Scarlet Nation podcast. Until then, for Bobby Darren, this is Chris Sakona saying thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.